struggle with self-control? You're not alone. From anger to appetite, time management to taming the tongue, we all have areas in need of discipline. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah puts the spotlight on this vital virtue, how to achieve it, and how it can make you more effective for God. From the series, Everything You Need, here's David with today's message, Personal Discipline. Well, friends, it's a very vital building block in your life. And if you don't have it, sooner or later, you will pay the price for not having it. Have you ever known some people that are just really good people, but they keep doing silly things. They keep doing things outside of the scope of what they know is right. They just get careless and they don't have any self-discipline. And even though everything else is going okay, the lack of self-discipline is destructive. I remember uh, years ago, I was teaching a seminar for a friend of mine, and he asked me to teach on time management. And while I was studying it, I realized that there is no way to manage time because it manages itself. It just goes on day after day, week after week. But the issue is not time management, but self-management. And that's what Peter's going to talk about in the lesson we have before us today. Don't forget to get your copy of the resource for the month of February. It's this beautiful little book by Rob Morgan called The Mediterranean Sea Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Navigating Life's Tempestuous Sea. In other words, how to get through the storm. You'll be delighted by Rob's writing. This is a creative book that will be a blessing to your life, and it's our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during the month of February. So thank you, and be sure to ask for the book when you send your gift. Let's get started with personal discipline number one. Most of you know a little bit about Peter. When he started following Jesus, he was impetuous, impulsive, headstrong, One moment he acted like a leader, and the next moment he acted like, well, like a two-year-old. But Peter met his match when he met Jesus Christ. And it was our Lord who patiently, gradually brought Peter to a newfound maturity, including self-control. And that's something he can do for all of us. I'm always anxious to learn more about that because it's a need that all of us have. Near the end of his life, Peter revealed some of the secrets he'd learned. He said that it's God's divine power who's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And among those things that he's given us is self-control. He says, if you will add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge, then add to your knowledge self-control. Now you say, how do I do that? Well, I can't do it by myself and I don't have to do it by myself because... Almighty God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. I already have the gift. I just need to open it and practice it. Someday try this when you know you should. Pray, Lord, I know you've given me everything I need for self-control. And today I hope you'll help me use what you've given me for your honor and glory. It's not a big thing, but it's an interesting thing. And literally, it means you and I have everything we need to be self-controlled if we will just take advantage of the gift that we've been given. So, here in this book of Second Peter, he mentions this in his list of character virtues that we are to process. He says, to knowledge, which we studied last time, we're to add self-control. 
That's the next component in this chain reaction of character qualities that makes us fruitful and effective for God. Self-control is the fourth tool in Peter's backpack, and it's the next logical step to a life of productivity. So go ahead and say it to yourself. I do need more self-control in my life. God has multiplied grace and peace to me, but with his help I can add another layer. Starting now, I must bring discipline into my life. If you say that, that's a good thing. That'll help you open your heart to what I'm going to say. When I say that, what habits come to your mind? Where do you most need self-control? Is it your temper, your spending, your time management, your devotions, your work habits, your entertainment or viewing patterns, your appetite, your tongue? I can go on and on. Of course, the tongue, that was one of Peter's problems, wasn't it? Open your mouth, insert your foot. That's the way Peter lived his life. Every day he seemed to get in trouble because of something he said. He often spoke without thinking. But look what happened to him, ladies and gentlemen. Look what happened to that man. God taught him the discipline of self-control. And because of that, here we are studying his words 2,000 years later. If God can do that for him, he can do that for us. God's power is amazing. Let me begin this discussion about self-control by saying, first of all, it deserves priority. There's a sense in which every failure that you read about in the Bible is a failure of self-control. For instance, Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden because they yielded to the devil's temptation. Cain killed his brother Abel because he couldn't master his anger. Moses had trouble controlling his temper and it kept him from the promised land. And during the days of the judges, the Bible says everyone did what was right in their own eyes, what felt good to them. And one of the judges was a guy named Samson, who was the strongest man on the earth, but he couldn't control his own passion. And then there's King David, whose failure was his lack of control when he saw and lusted after a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And the nation of Israel was destroyed by Babylon after losing a sense of self-control and spiraling into rebellion and indulgence so you go through the bible and you say is self-control in the bible well the lack of it sure is (laughs) because almost every story where there's failure the failure is somebody who knew what to do knew what was right and couldn't control themselves to do it in the new testament self-control was one of the main implications of the gospel do you know this passage jesus said it this way if anyone desires to come after me Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And the message the apostles stressed to new Christians in the early church, wherever you look, it's about self-control. Paul wrote to the believers who lived in Rome, and this is what he said to them. Let us walk properly, as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Ladies and gentlemen, self-control is not only about the things we don't do that could destroy us if we did them. Self-control is about the things we should do that if we did, we would prosper greatly. Self-control involves making everyday decisions 
as well as long-term goals. Think of it as a trade-off. You deny yourself an immediate indulgence to accomplish a higher lever goal that won't be realized for some time. Here's what it means. Self-control means saying no when you want to say yes. It means saying enough when you want to say more. It means I won't when you want to say I will. It's thinking before we act and controlling our appetites, our tongues, our tempers, our thoughts, our eyes. Self-control for the Christians, a make-or-break discipline. It's the difference between success and failure if you want to live a godly life. So that's why it deserves priority. It's not just an incidental thing. It's not just something that we should never talk about. I've already told you that if you examine the failures of the Bible, they all have one thing in common. They have in common people who couldn't do what they knew to do and did what they knew they shouldn't do. Now, let me just say something positive about this quality, that it is something that displays maturity in your life. There's perhaps no other quality that displays maturity like self-control. In one of his trips to spread the gospel, the Apostle Paul visited an island. I've actually been to that island. I don't know that I actually went on it, but I know we went by it in a ship. And this island at the time when Paul was here on this earth was infamous for its laziness and its evil. The island was called the Island of Crete, C-R-E-T-E. And one of the poets who lived in Crete gave a description of the island, and it's in the Bible. It's in Titus 1.12. This is what he said about the place where he lived. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> Paul agreed with this assessment, and Paul wrote a little letter to some Christians who lived on the island of Crete, and it, the letter is called the letter of Titus. The apostle didn't stay long there, but he stayed long enough to share the gospel with the people on Crete, and there was a little church that started, and he left Titus behind to shepherd the believers who became Christians on this little island. And Titus learned it was no easy task to develop maturity among the islanders because they had such a pagan background. And he tried this the best he could, and then Paul sent him a letter to help him. And it's so interesting that the thing Paul talks about in this letter, while he's trying to help Titus understand how to pastor this church in this infamous little island, the thing that seems to pop out in his instruction is self-control. Watch. He said, for this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. These elders, or local church leaders, must be, here's his description, blameless, faithful to their wives, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, and not given to drunkenness, and not be violent. What are those things? All things you don't do if you have any control. And then in Titus 1.8 we read, they are to be self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. In chapter 2, Paul told Titus, to teach all the older men in the church, in that little church in Crete, to teach them to be temperate, worthy of respect, and self-controlled. He spoke to Titus about the women in the church. Women, and listen here. The women were to be self-controlled and pure. And he spoke to the young men in the church in this little letter. And he said, 
encouraged the young men in Crete to be self-controlled. In other words, he went through the whole list of people in the church and he says they all have one thing they need more of because of where they live and the situation they live in. They all need to learn self-control. Now, Paul wrote these words about self-control in the Bible. And then in verses 11 through 14 in the second chapter, we read this incredible statement. For the grace of God has appeared to us It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing in the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, the entire book of Titus, when you read it again, will have total different meaning to you when you understand what's behind it. Titus is about bringing the believers on Crete, on this island, about bringing them to maturity, which was impossible without teaching them self-restraint and self-control. That would be the only way they could live in the environment of that pagan island. It wasn't anything about that island that was Christian. There wasn't anything in that island that would encourage them to live the right way. They had to come to grips with themselves. That's why you call it self-control. Crete is not very different from the way our world is today. When I read the history books about what was going on on that island, I think, so what's the big news about that? That goes on in my city. But the Bible tells us that the same grace that brought you salvation can teach you to say no to ungodliness. The same grace that you used to get saved is the grace God wants to fire up in your life so that when these temptations come because of the environment in which you live, you learn how to have the control in your own heart to say, no, thank you. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to go there. No, I don't want to watch that. No, I don't want to drink that. No, I don't want to smoke that. No. It can support you in living this controlled life as you wait for the blessed hope of the Lord's return. God wants to purify you as he wants to purify me so that I will have the control of my life by the basis of the Holy Spirit who lives within me and I will be a spirit-controlled, self-controlled disciple of Jesus Christ. So self-control deserves priority. Self-control displays maturity. Read the book of Titus. It's what they needed that they didn't have. The men, the women, the young men, the elders all had one thing they lacked. They all lacked self-control. Not much hope for a church that has nobody with self-control. And then the third thing I want you to notice is self-control deepens your discipline. I read a book by a godly woman, Barbara Hughes who wrote about the day when after only two years of marriage, she happened to see her husband's prayer list on his desk. Her name was at the top, and beside her name were the letters D and O. She didn't know what those letters meant. What did they stand for? So she wondered, oh, it must be delightful and (laughs) open-hearted. Or darling and optimistic. She puzzled about it for days, and finally she got enough nerve up 
to ask her husband what those letters stood for. What was he praying for her to become? And he said, disciplined and organized. (laughs) I'm sure that didn't make him very popular with his wife for a couple of days. But as time passed, Barbara realized how important those qualities are in a person's life. She said, discipline for me and discipline for Kent are not exactly the same. We've discovered that. Our personalities are very different. For starters, my husband is a morning person. I wake up with evening news. (laughs) He finds sanity and structure, a well-ordered calendar with no unexpected interruptions. I welcome interruptions, and I love the surprise of a drop-in visitor. But she said, while she enjoys her spontaneous personality, spontaneity is not an excuse for me to ignore the importance of discipline in my life. And discipline is important for my spiritual life. In fact, it is the path by which the good news of Christ gives meaningful shape to all the days of my life. That's very well put. The good news of Christ makes meaningful all the days of all of our lives. And by saying yes to self-discipline, we let him open a lot of doors that would stay closed if we just do what we feel like doing. You see, true freedom is impossible without some constraint. Let me just talk to you about that for a few minutes because there's a lot going on in our world today about freedom. And most people, freedom means do anything you want, anywhere you want, whenever you want, no matter what happens, just be free to do whatever you want. Most of us hear that and we know there's something wrong with it as Christians. And the thing that's wrong with it is freedom is not the absence of restraint. Freedom is the length of a cord from a given stake. There's always restraints where real freedom works. For instance, is a fish free in the water? Yeah, well, if freedom works everywhere, take him out of the water and see what happens. When a fish loses the place where he's been given to be free, he ceases to be free. And you can go through everything you know about life like that. Freedom is not doing whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, to whoever you want to do it, whenever you want to do it. Freedom demands restraint. Self-control means imposing limitations so we can focus on our goals. Limitations don't bring confinement. Limitations enable freedom. Playing any sport is impossible without rules. Artists paint within the boundaries of their canvas. Driving would be deadly without any lanes, stop signs, traffic lights, or speed limits. You'd think it's bad in New York? You wouldn't believe it if that were to happen. So self-control literally means that you live your life freely and most freely when you know what the boundaries are when you know how the boundaries work. In Christianity, we're free in Christ, but we're not free to do whatever we want. We're free within the boundaries of godliness that are set in the Scripture. Once you get understanding that, you get used to it, it just sets you so free because you know, I don't go there. I I won't be free there. I'll be enslaved if I go over this line. I want to stay here where I'm free, free in Christ. So self-control deepens your discipline, but there's also something to be said for a strategy of self-control. And I've 
saved enough time at the end of this message to do a little bit more here than I would normally do on other messages because this is so important to all of us. And most of us, we never talk about this. I remember as a young pastor, I had a friend who did seminars around the world and around the country, and he asked me to go and teach some things. And he said, I want you to do a seminar on time management. Well, I was pretty structured, and so I thought, okay, I'll do this for pastors. And I kind of played a little trick on them, to be honest. I asked them when they came in and sat down in my seminar to take the three-by-five card that I'd put on their desk. And I said, I want you to write down on this card the five most important things in your life from one to five. Take some time, think about it. Write down the five most important things in your life. Well, looking at the cards later, I discovered that most of these pastors, like one would be their family or whatever, but number two would be studying the Bible to preach in my church. So I did the seminar, and they got all done, and I said, okay, now, take that card, and on the back of the card, I want you to give me the best estimate that you can of how you spend your life each week. How do you spend your time every day? I said, you don't have to be totally accurate, but do the best you can. So they did all that. And then I said, okay, turn the card over again and ask yourself this question. These are my top five priorities. Does the way I spend my time match up to what I say is the most important in my life? And there would be a groan that you could hear in the next room. Because they all realized that what we say is important in our life is not important to us unless we really live our lives that way. So I came up with this very subtle change in my strategy. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no such thing as time management. Time rolls on whether we like it or not. You can't manage time, but you can manage yourself, right? And you know what? Time management's easy to talk about because it's not really possible. But the Bible talks about that. The Bible tells us that you and I live within the grace of God, and within the freedom of that grace, we are to control ourselves. So here are some ideas that I want to give you for your little notes and for your lives. How do you work toward building greater discipline in your life? Number one, most important of all, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Welcome the Holy Spirit's help. I have been so impressed by how often the concept of self-control is linked to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. It dominates the whole book of Galatians. Paul said this, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, let the Spirit of God control you, and you won't be tempted to go outside the lines. Let the Spirit of God reign in your life, and you will have the freedom to live where you are, and you won't be casting your eyes on the other side of the barrier where you ought not to go. Notice the order. The Bible doesn't say, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, and you will walk in the Spirit. The Bible says, you have to be filled with the Spirit each day under His control, and if you do that, you will be able to say no to the lust of the flesh. Hmm. How vital are these lessons and how provocative they are to our own experience. 
we do well to take note of what we're listening to and to put it to practice in our own life, to make adjustments where they need to be made. Maybe you're listening to this and say, well, you know, that's the problem. I don't let the Spirit of God control me. I let my own lusts and my own desires control me. Then I realize that I've made a mistake. Well, don't keep doing that. Make a change. Listen to the Spirit of God as He speaks to you through His Word and make sure you get things in order. Friends, we have a wonderful opportunity for you as you prepare for Easter. The Seasons of Hope book is a celebration of Easter. It will prepare you for Easter with 25 days of hope devotionals and scripture readings and Easter reflections and answers to questions about Easter in the beautiful gift book. It mirrors the book we did at Christmas called Seasons of Joy. So many of you loved this and gave it to your friends. You can get this individually. You can get a bundle to share with others, and you can get it all at davidjeremiah.org. Go there today and find out more about Seasons of Hope. So we thank you for joining us today, and be sure to join us tomorrow as we conclude our discussion of personal discipline, one of the most convicting of the messages, but yet good for us all, and certainly uh, very easily uh, useful to us in our walk with the Lord. Have a great day, friends. I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Everything You Need, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. This helpful resource is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Everything You Need, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional, and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. If you're searching for more confidence, purpose, and peace in your life, then be sure to request your copy of Dr. David Jeremiah's book called Everything You Need. The good news is that God has already provided everything you need for growth. All you have to do is develop His gifts in your life. This book is yours when you make a donation to Turning Point. 
And when you give $75 or more, you'll receive the complete set. Visit davidjeremiah.ca for more information. We've all heard it said that where there's a will, there's a way. But I've also heard it said that where there's a will, there are relatives. It's always been good for a laugh in movies and television. Nervous relatives gathering in an attorney's office for the reading of the will of a deceased, very rich relative, hoping they've been granted an inheritance. Did you know, if you are a Christian, that you have been granted an inheritance far greater than any on earth? You have been made a member of God's family, a fellow heir of Jesus Christ, set to inherit all the riches of the Father for all eternity. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's riches on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.